Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, when we recorded our week one regionals episode, you said that uh, when I asked you how you were doing, you basically said, I'll let you know in about five (laughs) days when I'm done with my Tyla NTC regional. Uh, It has been those five days. We're recording this the Tuesday after week one of regionals. So uh, let us know, Drew, how, how are you doing? How was your weekend? I am on cloud nine. Uh, it, it has been seven days, to be fair. Um, <laughs> and and no, it's an amazing feeling. Um, I, I was very fortunate to end up winning my region and uh, advancing to the national tournament that will be in Texas at the end of March. Um, my teammates, Keen Nolan and Kaylin Gross, um, both actually competed in undergrad mock trial at uh, University of Minnesota and UGA, respectively. And they are both amazing, amazing competitors. And I don't know, we gritted it out. It was it was a long weekend. Um, for those that don't know, the way that uh, the and uh, the way that Tyla or NTC, whatever you want to call it, works is that they have 15 different regions, and you have to be one of the top two teams out of your region in order to advance. And so you do a series of preliminary rounds to get the top eight. And then you literally do a tournament style, you know, one versus eight, two v seven, three v six, four v five, and then winner stays and plays another winner. And you got to win both of those in order to move on. So for us, it was a total of six. I can't believe that, but six trials in one weekend. And it was, uh, in a word, exhausting, but in another word, satisfying. Um, thrilled to have won and really elated. Uh, it was a, a thrilling and gut wrenching weekend, but we are we're happy to still be alive for sure. So I'm, I'm I'm really thrilled, and like I said, definitely on cloud nine. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I coached the weekend before yours. I, I coached uh, two Maryland teams at the Tyler NTC regionals. Here we we had a team advance to semifinals, but we did not get out of our region. And I know how hard it is to get out of a region in that competition. I'm looking at uh, if any of you have ever are ever curious about results at the law school level there's a great website called trialteamcentral.org which is run by joe lester from the university of georgia he tracks all this stuff and i'm looking at your region drew and i see a lot of teams that i know well baylor had two teams there their directors is excellent they're a great program south texas i know their director really well st mary's is run by my former uh coach when he was at maryland um like this is a tough tough region and i was hearing about it on the other end because i'm in a i'm in a 14 person trial director fantasy football league which has an accompanying 14 person group text which however horrible you imagine it is it's worse um and i heard about it because houston's director is is in that group text so really really impressive yeah and they they were the other team besides you guys who made it so really impressive showing drew congratulations and and i can't wait to hear how things go at nationals you know, I, I will very briefly say it's funny that you mention those three particular programs, St. Mary's, Baylor, and South Texas. Those were three teams that we ended up having to face. And I can tell you that they are all very, very, very good at mock trial. And none of those rounds felt easy at all. And I was I was happy to have won them, but they're very, very good. And I, I wish I didn't have to face them. And uh, yeah, I mean, the tough thing about the way that this style tournament is, is that you kind of have to just beat the best. I mean, you can't, there's no like, oh, take an easy path. Like that just doesn't really exist based on 
having to be one of the final two teams. I mean, sure, there might be some weird results, but it's just, I mean, you usually need to be able to be the number one or two team. That's a silly comment, but you need to be able to beat all the rest of the teams there pretty reliably. And that's really, really difficult. So I'm very lucky and very grateful to have made it. But I mean, look, I I learned very quickly that just making it to the semis is a huge accomplishment in and of itself. And I mean, I think it's interesting, and I'm I'm sorry that I'm ranting about this, but comparing it to the Ampta world feels very, very hard because there is no real equivalent in terms of like, this is definitely not the same as making it to orcs, like making it out of a regional and Ampta means going to orcs, you know, this is going straight to nationals. And it's not even as big as, you know, the, you know, whatever 48 team nationals, it's only 30 teams that make it to nationals. And just based on it being only two from each region makes it just feel like worlds harder, at least in my opinion. And the difference being that you can't really afford to slip up the way that you are kind of afforded a ballot or two. You know, you can kind of make it through at six and two at at orcs in order to make it to nationals. You can't really afford to be dropping that many ballots at at this stage. I mean, every round is a knockout round once you get to the uh, out of the prelims. So it's just you can't slip up and it's really, really difficult. So like I said, really, really grateful and fortunate to be there and excited to continue to annoy all of the AMTA listeners with more law school content. But I made, you know, this is our podcast, so I can do what I want. <laughs> well, and it's it's such relevant information for the AMTA community. Right. You see right. so many AMTA alums who are being successful in this competition. Okay, on that note, on that note, wait, really quickly, what, the thing I'm most excited about is that like almost, I, I know a good four or five other competitors that are, you know, either my year or I competed with in when I was in AMTA that I'm buddies with. And I'm, I'm like so excited because it's almost a mini AMTA reunion for me. Um, I'm not honestly, Ben, I, I should have asked you before, but I'm not even sure whether Sydney is competing for UCLA's Tyler team or not this year. But like, I just have started noticing all these little connections of like, oh my gosh, you know, Sonali and Steven Becker made it out of Harvard. They're going to be there. One of my co-counsels when I was at Haverford, Nick Berilli is on the Yale team that just made it. Like there are all these little random nuggets and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so great. We're going to get to all kind of come back together um, and compete again. And it's very, very fun uh, for me as someone that, you know, really enjoyed my college years to kind of reconnect with a lot of those people. So it's a, it's a great note. And for those of you that are in AMTA thinking about doing law school mock trial, I hope that you get the same experience if you go and compete at Tyla, um, because it is a cool way to kind of reconnect with those people. Yeah, no, that's a really great point. I saw some of those same, you know, pieces of news about some of those AMTA alums. And candidly, and this is a discussion for another day, but it demonstrates why the uh, law school trial ad programs who have resistance to using AMTA alumni um, are just being foolish because more and more, if you want to decide who's going to do well at a competition, not always, but but definitely an increasing number of competitions are being won by AMTA alums who are going on to the law school level. Uh, I certainly have a few on my team, including one of my members of my national championship team. I don't know if Sydney was on this competition, um, but I, I, I know that there are other AMTA alums who are on some of the UCLA's teams and all that stuff. So definitely a cool opportunity for all those AMTA alums to get together and compete at nationals 
with that said, uh, we've got a couple of other things we want to talk about before we get into our three regionals for this past weekend. Um, Drew had the opportunity to amp to rep in Jackson this past weekend. I had a really, really great time. Um, we've got some information uh, coming from our Discord, which I'll just toss in a quick plug real fast. Um, we've seen our Discord and, and our, our Patreon community really a lot of uh, activity pick up over the last couple of weeks just because there's so much going on with all of these regionals results. And so we've had more people joining. Uh, we just added a new member of our team, which I'm super excited about and we'll talk about in just a second. And we've just got a lot of really cool things going on. Uh, but Drew, what have you been seeing? What have you been noticing just generally uh, over these first few weeks of regionals and, and some of the conversations that we've been having in, in the Discord? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to obviously avoid getting into the details of these regions because we're going to cover each one in a, in a moment. Um, I will say that there are a lot of interesting things to discuss about them. But just on a more kind of global level, um, I think that there's been a lot of discussion in our Discord, at least, about the side balance, um, side imbalance, rather. Um, and also, I feel like there's been a lot of talk about judging, just the, the lack of judges that some tournaments have had. Um, the plethora of judges that others have had. But I mean, yeah, look, I, I I know that we we plug it often, but I think that this is the time of the year when people are talking about mock trial, when it's the most lively. And uh, as you said, Ben, the Discord has been really, really cool because we've got people from across the country reporting in results from across the country, telling us stories about things that are happening um, on the West Coast and Northeast, wherever. And I think that's really cool and a lot of fun. And it's a way to kind of stay connected to the rest of the community, at least in my mind, in a more immediate way where you're getting that kind of immediate, you know, feet on the ground type of takes about what's happening. Um, and so I've, I've really enjoyed being able to stay connected through it. And I hope that people that are listening that want to be a part of that conversation, go ahead and, and join. You know, it's you don't have to pay anything to be a part of the Discord. Just go ahead and subscribe the patreon and then we'll send you the link and we'd love to have you on there honestly yeah no i i echo all of those thoughts it's been really interesting for me to kind of tune in and out as i've been traveling and just kind of see what other people are thinking we've got perspectives from all over the amp to map um one interesting thing that that you sort of alluded to was was the side bias mm -hmm. um and i'm just going to mention something here so so this was a post in our discord um, from Ryan Driscoll, who's from Carnegie Mellon mock trial. And I'll, I'll put the disclaimer that I have not, Drew and I have not independently verified these numbers. So we're sort of posting them straight from Ryan. Um, I think they're correct, but, but I'm not 100% sure. And Ryan mentioned that the plaintiff, according to his numbers, has won 148.5 out of 242 round three ballots in the first two weeks of regionals, which comes out to a 61% plaintiff advantage in round three tracking round three specifically for reasons you all probably understand which is tracking that tracks what is supposed to be the high high like the most even mm -hmm. pairings that you'll see at a particular regional tournament since round four is power protected um i'm not shocked to see these stats i have a few percent i mean <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's not great now again i don't know the overall numbers and that's the big one right if, if the case is overall balanced then we're in pretty good shape. Uh, and I don't feel like the case is unfair. There's been some speculation in our Discord about how maybe some of that is related to atypical plaintiffs and an increase mm -hmm. in the amount of those. I think there's something to that. But you got to be ready for that. That's part of the nature of the activity. So I think that the the case balance, we'll kind of wait and see on what we get once we get all the way through regionals and we get our, our case balance memo once we get our orcs case changes. But 
definitely something worth keeping an eye on and something I'll be interested to see how the week three regionals add to those statistics. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I will, I'll be the first to admit that those numbers alone feel very, uh, I think they feel very jarring. I think 60% sounds, sounds like a lot. Um, but I agree with you, Ben, that we don't know the whole numbers that those might tell a more holistic story. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I gotta say that I'm not, I also am not terribly surprised from the perspective of, I think that this case tends to lend itself towards people that are able to kind of cut through all of the other stuff and tell a really streamlined story. And I think that that is in many ways easier, um, on the, on the plaintiff side, just because you have so much more say over the direction of it. And, um, and I, I think that that to me at least is a lot of why we might be seeing those numbers, but look, once we get more and we've got all the regional results and we get the, the regionals, uh, case balance update, I think we'll probably have a better idea of all of this, but definitely an interesting, uh, first two weeks and, and from what you will take of those numbers, they are definitely quite telling. Um, but you know, before we do move on to the regionals, there's something I wanted to very quickly mention, and it's that we have a new listener to the podcast. Um, so <laughs> this is a very like my personal life thing, but um, my girlfriend and I just recently got a a dog. It's really her dog, but I'm I'm helping to raise him, and his name is Winston, and he has very bad separation anxiety from us, and so. What we've started doing in order to help him with his separation anxiety, and I'm I'm completely serious about this, is my girlfriend will put the the podcast on a speaker and let it play for him on a loop so that he can still hear both my and Ben's voices talking in the room. And so it, you know, we'll kind of drape a curtain over his crate and he thinks that we're just still there and still talking to him, and it's very soothing to him. And we have video that he, you know, falls asleep much quicker and much more easily when he thinks that I'm in there talking to him. So um, our, our numbers are taking a nice little uptick um, <laughs> randomly in New Orleans for this. But um, Winston, if you're listening right now, sweet dreams, little buddy. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if anyone else is in need of, of some dog therapy or, or I don't know, then maybe try playing the podcast for them. And who knows? I guess we have very soothing voices. I, I love this story. I love everything about this story. I feel like this is like, uh, and I'm going to spell this because, you know, it could be annoying to people, but like, you know, commercials that will be like, uh, hey, A-L-E-X-A, like do this to try to like get people's in-home mm -hmm. devices to do things <laughs> or whatever. Like, I feel like that's the power I hold now or if I'm just like, <laughs> like Winston, do you want to go for a walk? And right. like, all of a sudden, like he's just freaking out in his crate and he's like, I don't know who this guy is, right. but I really, you know, <laughs> I just, I love this whole story. The joke I made in the discord when Drew posted this in the discord was it got a little awkward when Winston submitted a mock trial confession about how we need to talk more about the Midwest. But other than that, I think he's a great listener. And Hey, look, if there's one thing this podcast apparently can do, it's put people to sleep. So exactly. like, here we are. But I love that story. I'm so glad that you shared it with all of our wonderful listeners, be they human or canine. Exactly. There you go. Hey, you know, we do not discriminate. If, if there is a feline listener out there, we're more than happy, more than welcoming to the, the mock trial podcast community. Um, and we, we, yeah. Anyway, for those of you that do not care at all about this, I promise we're going to get to the regionals in just a moment. But I just really had to share it because I think it's hilarious. So. 
I love that go. story. I think I'm so <laughs> glad you shared it. And I think on that note, I will take us to East Lansing as long as you're okay with that. Yes, please, please do. <laughs> okay. So uh, we're going to talk about the East Lansing Regional, uh, which had three bids. I want to get to that in just a second. First, a brief moment of seriousness, because of course, the East Lansing Regional was hosted by Michigan State University. Um, and we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, maybe like 14 to 16 hours after there was a deadly shooting on Michigan State's campus. We're not going to try to go into a lot of detail about that. This really isn't the podcast for that. But I've had the good privilege at UMBC of facing off with, with Michigan State. We split with them in round four at Orcs. Um, I think they are widely considered to be one of the nicest and kindest and friendliest programs in all of AMTA. Um, and I was completely heartbroken to see the the tragedy that occurred on their campus. So before we talk about this regional, I just really wanted to say to the Michigan State folks, Drew and I are thinking about you we're really grateful that that all of you, from what I've heard, are safe and and just we're really thinking about your whole campus and everyone in AMTA is behind you, just like we were with UVA, just like we've been in the past with other far too many programs who've been impacted by gun violence. Um, and so I just really, you know, Drew, before we get into this regional, just really wanted to say that because, you know, obviously it doesn't like if they were a mean program, I would feel the same way. But like it's like <laughs> Michigan State is such a wonderful group of people who have been so kind to everyone that they interact with. And I really hope that those students are getting support and love and and, and just as much help as they need to get through this really difficult time. No, I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad that you mentioned it. I mean, look, we, we I think that here on the podcast, we try to talk mostly about mock trial, but as we've seen in recent episodes um, and in the history of the podcast, you know, these, these things come up because this is real life. And as much as we're talking about fake trial, you know, we're all real people, we live real lives, and we're affected by the real world. And I think that sometimes it takes things like this to kind of remember like, oh my goodness, you know, this actually is happening. And I mean, as you said, I'm just really glad and, and you know, happy that it, from what I've heard, this didn't affect anyone in the mock trial community. Obviously, um, my heart goes out to the students of Michigan State. And as Ben said, we are thinking of you, but, um, you know, especially just to everyone that was there at regionals. I mean, I feel like that can be a really startling and jarring thing. So I just hope that all the teams that were there um, are just taking the time to to really, you know, be with one another and be supportive of one another. I think this is just a, a very difficult time, obviously, and just glad to know that everyone, um, for, to what I know, is at least safe and sound. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this, Ben. It really is a, a, a horrible thing, and I'm glad that we're able to talk about it here. Yeah, and and we're going to move on and talk about the regional now, because obviously we're not a news podcast, and and you know, people don't come here for their for their news or their reactions to current events. But we felt like we had to at least acknowledge that and really just mention to the Michigan State folks that we're thinking about y'all. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about this regional. This regional has some fascinating, absolutely uh, intriguing components to it. This regional had three bids. This was 13 teams and a buy buster. Those three bids in order were Northwood A with eight wins and a 12 and a half CS. Then Case Western A with six and a half wins and a 13 CS, and then Michigan State A with six wins and a 17 and a half CS. Three honorable mentions who hit five or more. Those would be Hillsdale C, five and a half wins and a 16 and a half CS, Hillsdale B, five and a half wins and a 16 CS, and Northwood B, five wins and a 15 CS. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of interesting things here. Northwood goes 8-0. They sweep Michigan State. That's Michigan mm-hmm. State's only losses. A really interesting result there. Um, Case Western. Um, this is, I think this is the wildest split we've seen uh, all year uh, in regional so far. They, they dropped a ballot to Hillsdale B, who had a very strong weekend. And then against Central Michigan, who, who this was the only non-loss that they had. Um, uh, Case Western goes plus 38 and tie um and again i'm not we weren't in that round i don't know which one of those ballots is closer to accurate my guess given that case western won six and a half ballots and central michigan wasn't as successful is that maybe the plus 38 was closer to the actual result again i I wasn't there so i don't know but that's absolutely brutal see drew i see you just changed it to a plus 31 31. do i have the margin wrong I think it was plus 31, not plus 38. Okay. I see on the tab sheet, at least. Okay. Then I, I must have made a typo when I made it, but either way, plus well, that's 31. that's a big difference. Hey, hey, hey. You know what? If it's only a plus 31, I don't know what you're talking about, Ben. That's <laughs> a very reasonable margin to have. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Only a, a difference <laughs> of like three points per element instead of four. Um, but yeah, so a really, really surprising result there. Um, and then I think the last thing that I'll note here, Drew, before I get your thoughts, is I just wonder, you know, I get why. AMTA has the rules and the restrictions for like how many bids are assigned to each regional. I know that this was a difficult position where teams were dropping because of COVID and other reasons. It wasn't a very big regional to begin with. But at a certain point, is it silly? Like when you drop below four bids, I I almost feel like maybe four bids should be the floor unless you go to single digits or something. Because what we just ended up with is just, I mean, Hillsdale C is different because presumably Hillsdale A will get a bid and then that bid won't matter. But Hillsdale B has five and a half wins. That's an automatic open bid so why shouldn't have just been an earned bid like if you have three bids and there are 14 teams including the buy buster you're gonna have a team with an open bid get off that you know you're gonna have a five and a half or a five and it just feels kind of silly to me um to like have this situation where we have these five and a halves on the open bid list because there's only three bids so a lot of interesting things here i want to get in a little bit later to some of the tab card stuff Mm -hmm. but drew i want to kick it to you what are your thoughts on this regional so I'll start where you left off. I think it's a fair point that like, what's the, what are we talking about here? Like, why not just give the fourth bid out? And I'll add that one of the troubling things about doing it purely based on the number of teams there is that you don't always take into account the power of the teams that are still there. And obviously, Amta sometimes tries to move power around to make it work. But I mean, let's take a moment. Northwood A Case Western, I believe it's their A team that you mentioned, right? Yeah, Case Western A and Michigan State A. I feel like those are all either Nationals caliber or right on the fringe. I mean, really, really good. And to think that there are only three bids and all three of those teams are there feels really brutal. I mean, if you compare it to other regions that'll often have, you know, three, maybe four teams that are perennial, really strong Orcs teams. Um, you know, maybe a few nationals teams sprinkled in there, but there are five or six bids to go. And there's, you know, a one or two bids that are kind of like a, a team can sneak in there that doesn't always make it. I mean, look, we've got teams like Xavier that are not bad, that often make it to orcs that aren't making it out here. Um, you meant, We talked about Hillsdale, BNC. I mean, there are some solid programs that, you know, basically had to cull through the Northwood, Case Western, and Michigan State A teams in order to earn a bid. And that just seems a little bit 
Um, at least to me, I'm like, I, I think that that doesn't seem like what regionals is supposed to be. It should be a little bit easier than that. Um, it, at least again, to me to get through and I'll add that when it gets this small, it becomes really tough because you have to face some of those really elite good teams. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing, but I mean, I think it just makes it really, really difficult for teams that are not at the absolute top of their region to make it out. And again, I don't think that that's what the point of regionals is. I think that we are, you know, okay with having a few teams sneak through and get their shot at orcs. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I have definitely mixed feelings about a three bid regional. On the other hand, like there are literally only 13 teams participating there. You know, we if we give out four bids, that's like almost 25% of the field, um, which I feel like is actually pretty standard now that i'm saying it yeah no it would have been a third if we gave out four bids it would be a third of the field which yeah, would yeah. be a lot three is is 25 which is about what it should be um but i mean a third would be a lot i just don't know that i have a problem with it i don't know what the solution is other than like balancing and when people drop out shifting more teams around but that's also got its own fair share of problems i mean this is super bowl weekend I'm sure the teams weren't like excited to change all their plans at the last minute just because someone else dropped out. So I don't know if there's a great solution to it, but it is a very interesting problem. And I haven't really spoken about any of the teams individually, aside from saying that these three are really, really good. But yeah, they are really, really good. So I am glad that of the three that made it, it was those three. Um, I think that they are, are excellent programs, and I'm glad that all three of them are going to go back to works. Yeah, it's like in terms of the actual results of this regional there's not a ton remarkable like the three programs that got through are three really really good teams and i feel like that is the main takeaway from from this regional like like i said northwood sweeping michigan state is really interesting case western uh split with hillsdale b which would be if you sort of remove hillsdale c from the equation would sort of be the open bid or the fourth bid um from this regional so it's like those results are not shocking like the two team and the and the four or five team splitting the one team sweeping the three team it's like you know a lot of these good teams playing each other i think you make fair points about the size of the regional drew and the last thing that i'll mention about this regional is of course i was able to see that the tab cards from round four and if you're a listener who's never really watched the tab cards be done the round four at regionals is by far the most complicated tabbing that happens at an AMTA tournament all year because it's not high-high. It's this high-low bottom bracket, top bracket system that would take way too long to explain. But I just wanted to focus for a second on Michigan State C. Um, Michigan State, I'm looking at the tab cards uh, going into round four for this regional right now. Michigan State C started as D4. So tab card D4, so fourth down the, the defense side. They went D4 to 3 to 2 to 4 to 5 to 6 to 7 and back to 3. Um, that's eight swaps involving one team. And I can tell you there are many other cards on this list with a similar number. That's the most, I believe, but like a similar number of swaps. I'm looking at Michigan State A went from 1 to 2 to 3 to 2 to 2 to 3. Like it just it was crazy. I'm sure that you know, I'm. I'm very glad that tab director Diane Michaelak was one of the empty reps there. And I'm very glad that that was her problem and not mine <laughs> because that I, she said in the empty slack, like sounds like we have an empty rep pairing quiz for next year. Um, I don't want to take that quiz. That quiz sounds really hard. Um, and I'm glad that glad that it was her and friend of the pod, Devin Holstead who were dealing with that yeah, uh, and not me. 
That sounds awful. Holy cow. I actually did not know that, but that is insane. I mean, look, the power protected round four pairings always have, you know, an impermissible or two. But yeah, I mean, the thing that I'm realizing looking at this is that you've got two teams from Hillsdale, two teams from Michigan State, two teams from Xavier. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, that's in, inherently a, a set of impermissibles. But then all the teams they've faced before, um, you know, when you have such a small tournament, you really get into these weird situations where you're like, they kind of have no other options between, you know, they have to face this one team regardless of records because they can't face any of the other teams. And that just, it, it kind of can be very frustrating, I think, um, as someone that's trying to tab it. But I mean, that that is kind of absurd. One thing I wanted to really quickly mention about this and, and you know, we don't need to dwell too long on any one regional, but getting at what I was saying before, I looked it up. Um, Northwood, Michigan State, and Case Western are three of the top 60 ranked teams. The problem that I have with that is that you should not have to beat a top 60 team in order to make it out of regionals. Mm -hmm. So just kind of refining my earlier point, but like I think that that puts into context what I was trying to say. Like that's, I mean, I think that most people listening would be like, yeah, that seems pretty unreasonable to just make it to orcs to have to, you know, oust a top 60 team. Like that seems like you're asking a lot of, of people. And look, Xavier A is ranked 104. I mean, they're not like a, they usually make it to orcs, but they do not have a quote unquote bid up for them. They have to beat a top 60 team in order to get it. And that just, I don't know, I think that that to me feels like we're not giving out enough bids um, if that's the standard that we're asking of some people. And there are other regions where there's a, you know, if we're going in order of of rank, you know, the sixth best team at a six bid regional is in the, you know, 180s, 190s. And you're like, you know, okay, beating a, a team that's ranked there feels much more reasonable than a top 60. So just to to contextualize what I was trying to say earlier, I just feel like that is a little insane when we talk about what you need to do to get out of that region. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point. I totally agree with it. Um, and I don't have anything else on this regional. So Drew, All I right. think you can take us to Evanston. Okay, so going a little bit more in the Midwest to Evanston, we had five bids here, which ordinarily would feel small, but after what we just talked about, it feels huge. <laughs> um, but in order, we had Miami A, and this is Miami of Ohio for all the confusion that people may have had last week. Um, but Miami of Ohio A with eight wins and a 17 CS. Then Indiana A with seven wins and a 16 CS. Followed by Northwestern D with six and a half wins and a 14 and a half CS. Followed by Michigan C with six wins and an 18 CS. And then Michigan A with six wins and a 15 and a half CS. We also had an honorable mention of Northwestern C who had six wins in a 14 and a half CS. Don't always see honorable mentions at six wins. And from a C team, that is, I mean, definitely noteworthy. Yeah, and so you have Northwestern C, um, who, as I just mentioned, was that honorable mention team, getting swept by Miami in the very first round, but, you know, taking care of business and just winning out the rest of the, of the weekend. Um, you know, good on, on Northwestern C from a C team. And look, Miami... For all the, the hate that I sometimes give you guys, eight knows, you know, I guess it's pretty good. I guess, you know, maybe they could have done a little bit better. They had a few four win ballots, you know, come on guys. Can't do better than four, four, <laughs> a positive four, 
Um, uh, obviously, I'm joking. They had a phenomenal weekend and a very, very good showing. Um, a few other noteworthy things. I think that Michigan, we've talked about just so much, um, and they also uh, fell to Miami. Um, the juggernaut is Miami. But Michigan A, I mean, look, 6-2 and two is still good. And I mean, if you're only losing to Miami, that's that's a pretty good sign. But I think that that to me is the most like, okay, Michigan, Miami, that could be a a national, you know, round three, round four, you know, determining the end result type of round. And it's interesting to see Miami come out on top here. Um, definitely a good sign for them and a sign that as good as Michigan has done in the invite season, there may be a few things they need to polish up um, if they're going to make the run at nationals that a lot of people have been talking about and expecting for them. Um, definitely a few other results here, but I don't want to talk for too long. So I'm going to toss it to you, Ben, get some of your thoughts. Yeah, well, I'll start by clarifying. So Miami swept Michigan C, but they didn't play Michigan A. Um, that's a good note. You know, sometimes I, I'm just totally out of it and missed that, but yes, it is Michigan C. Thank you. (laughs) No. And, but I still think that's noteworthy. So Michigan A didn't play Miami because in round two, when I think they were both two and oh, but so were other teams, they actually played Indiana indiana a and uh against indiana it was plus two minus two uh so that's a really interesting result and then uh you know another like close to rivaling what we were talking about at the last regional michigan then had a plus 28 minus one against wheaton c um which on paper you would expect michigan to win that matchup again we weren't in the round but but plus 28 minus one is just one of those results that really like like stands out and 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 is remarkable and and kind of jumps off the page. Um really impressive showing from a couple of other programs here. Uh Indiana uh really having a strong uh performance, really uh you know, like showing out at 7 and 1 with their only loss being a minus 2 to Michigan. Otherwise really really impressive. You already talked about Miami. Um you know, I really would have liked to see the results of a Miami A Michigan A round, but good on Indiana for taking a ballot and preventing that matchup from ever happening. That's a really, really impressive showing from Indiana. Uh, Northwestern getting two teams, their C and D teams, both to at least six wins. We all obviously know how strong Northwestern is, but when you see a team with that much depth and that much strength, really just stands out. And then finally, uh, just noting a couple teams who are at this regional who are in like the 150 to 200s rank range. You had DePaul, University of Illinois, Chicago, Boston College B. Uh, Those teams didn't get through, which, you know, those are teams that maybe you expect somewhat frequently to get through. Uh, So a little bit of a surprise there. But I think the noteworthy thing here is Miami, definitely Indiana and Michigan splitting that super close round and showing Northwestern's depth. Um, What else? Anything else, Drew, that you spot here? The last thing that I wanted to mention, and I, I mentioned Northwestern C and that loss to Miami earlier, but if you look at the tab results, I got to say, I don't think I've ever seen this before, but outside of that, that round one, two losses, Northwestern C won every other ballot by more than 13. Yeah. Like they're, they, they went six and two with a PD of 157. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen a PD that high and definitely not one where they lost two ballots. Like I, I'm just, I mean, the fact that they went plus, I mean, what was this must've been plus 170 across three rounds is, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty unreal. Yeah. And I mean, it definitely shows that, you know, draw that unlucky first round against Miami and you're like, all right, well got to take care of business for the other three. I mean, my goodness did not want to be in Northwestern's way after that. 
But um, yeah, I mean, I think that all the points that you hit on are the right ones. This was a, a impressive showing out of um, a lot of different programs. I think that it's it's kind of a scratch regional to that extent. I mean, I think that other than Northwestern getting both of their two teams in the top six, um, I, you know, they're deep and very good program. But I think that that's always impressive. But I don't think there's anyone here that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe so and so didn't make it. Um, and I, I'm, you know, you kind of mentioned a few that are definitely in that kind of okay. They sometimes make it through, but no one that I'm shocked by. And really, this is just Miami, Indiana, Northwestern, and Michigan showing why they are some of the top programs in the country. Yeah, and, and it is interesting. I'm so glad you pointed out that path by Northwestern. I don't know what the judging was like at this tournament, but you do see a lot of wide ranges. Um, I see here uh, that Northwestern C team against uh, their round two opponent went plus 47, plus 46, which obviously those are huge margins. It's also quite remarkable to get two judges with that large of a margin within one point of each other. Um, and then, you know, plus 31, plus 17, you see some other results around here. Um, you see a Michigan, Michigan goes plus 28, plus 14 and around. So it feels to me like maybe there were a fair amount of mock alums judging. Um, I don't know that for sure, but those are the, t- when you see margins like that, it's usually mock alums, not necessarily Northwestern alums, but just people who have experience. And so I just wonder, you know, where some of that came from. But other than that, I think we've kind of covered it. I've definitely got my eye on Miami. I'll be interested to see if they're tested a little bit more at Orcs. Not that they didn't play a tough schedule, but of course they never played um, Indiana A or Michigan A, the two teams that maybe you'd be most interested in having them play. Um, anything else true here? I could take us to our final regional. Before we move on, I wanted to, to mention two things. And the first is to your point about the mock alum judging. I think that's a great point. And for those that are kind of like, what are you talking about? Why would that happen? It's because, at least in my opinion, it is because mock alums very frequently have this like, when I feel like I'm way better than the other team, but like I only won by one or two points, it feels like it's not recognizing how much better each aspect was. And so they do this thing where they just put on such a wide disparity when they think one team is clearly better than the other. And I'll be honest, I don't think it's particularly helpful. I don't think that a team losing by 47 is more meaningful to them than losing by by 20. I think that at that point, you're just kind of you know pushing a man when he's down. But you know, go off people. If, if you want to make a plus 47, feel free. Um, to your point though, Ben, there were a few other rounds. I mean, there's a uh, University of Illinois, Chicago had a plus 43, plus 20 in one round. Um, I'm seeing a, a plus 31, plus 17. Um, that was actually Northwestern again. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were definitely a bunch. There's a, a DePaul had a plus 31, plus 22 in the fourth round. I mean, there were definitely some big ballot differences here. And one last thing that I want to talk about before that we move on um, is the Wheaton C team that, that we mentioned here. We talked about them a few times because they had a few very close rounds. They went three, four, and one with a 21 and a half CS, and they did not have an easy path facing both of those Northwestern teams. Um, you know, not easy at all for them. They also faced Boston College B, who, I mean, didn't make it out, but I would, I would normally think of it being a pretty solid program. And then um, similarly, they had that that round against Michigan A. So, I mean, if, if you told me that you were facing Northwestern, Northwestern Michigan and Boston College, that wouldn't sound like a regional schedule to me. Um, so definitely, you know, sorry to Wheaton for a rough schedule, but good on them, honestly, to, to have taken the amount of ballots they did it, despite that tough schedule. 
Yep. I think that's a really good point. I totally agree with you on the judging point. I think that's an interesting conversation that we should have another time because I know when I was first judging, sometimes I was susceptible to that. And I think it's important as mock alums that we're good judges, but that maybe sometimes we try to tailor our harshness. It's like, you know, once you get above plus 25, plus 20, you know, what's the point? So I think that's a good point. Um, all right, so I'm going to take it to our third and final regional, and that was the Jackson, Mississippi regional. This was actually the tournament that I had the privilege of being the AMTA rep for. Had a really great time. It was myself and Maggie Randall Schutte, who judges or who coaches at Georgia State and helps run AMTA's judging subcommittee. Wonderful co-rep. Had a great time. Uh, really enjoyed my time down in Jackson. Um, had some decent food. Uh, used that AMTA per diem to, to good use to make sure that I got some oysters and some Cajun pasta and you know, enjoyed myself. So, uh, without further ado, we had five bids at this regional in order. They were Rhodes B, seven wins and a 14 CS. Auburn A, seven wins and a 13 and a half CS. Emory A, six wins and a 17 and a half CS. Auburn B, six wins and a 15 CS. And Emory B, six wins and a 13 and a half CS. Your two honorable mentions at at least five were Rhodes C, five wins and a 20 and a half CS. And Dillard A, five wins and a 16 and a half CS. Uh, rolling through a couple things here. Obviously, the big things that jump off the page are two two bids from both Emory and Auburn. Um, not a surprise for Emory. Their A team's a top 20 team. Their B team's ranked 55th. They're a very, very strong, very deep program. Um, but a major, very impressive step forward for Auburn. Um, their A team ranked 153rd. Their B team is unranked. I got a chance to chat with uh, some of the Auburn folks after the award ceremony. Uh, they were understandably quite excited. Um, Auburn B needed to beat Dillard in round four. Dillard, of course, a Nationals team from last year who was 5-1 and one at the time. Auburn B takes both of those ballots comfortably to push mm -hmm. Dillard onto the open bid list and to get on a second bid for Auburn. Um, so an extremely impressive sort of like eye opening showing for a program that is strong and everybody understands is good, but maybe has the potential to reach new heights this year. Um, Dillard, obviously, last year, Cinderella story, um, making it all the way to nationals. We had the privilege of talking to Amaya last year. I think at five wins, 16 and a half, they'll be OK getting off the open bid list, but a surprise to see them there in the first place. And then the last thing that I'll mention before I get your thoughts, Drew, turns out Rhodes still good at this activity. Rhodes B, you know, goes through only loss was a split with Emory A, which is a very respectable split, um, gets the first bid out and Rhodes C. Obviously, Rhodes C is not going to need an open bid, presumably, but if they needed one, five wins and a 20 and a half CS, I don't think they'd have any trouble getting one. Uh, so what do you notice from this regional, Drew? Well, so it's important to note that this is the region that both the Tulane teams that I have, I think it's not even fair to say coached because I really have done very, very little with them in the last few months, but I definitely was more involved with them in the fall season. But um, they both competed here and both of them went four and a half. And so they're both going to be riding it out on the open bid list. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a moment. But um, that was kind of the, the context that I had for this regional. And I will just say that I think that you're spot on with a lot of what you said, especially Auburn. Um, they're a team that I remember when we were looking at this region, we were, uh, you know, myself and some of the other uh, captains were discussing the fact that they are a, a more fearsome team than people realize. And that, um, you know, it's not just Emory and Rhodes that, you know, you want to avoid, but it really is Auburn, too. They are a scary program and they're doing really, really well. Um, and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Dillard. I mean, they're so great. They're really wonderful people over there. Um, definitely unfortunate for them to not make it 
through with the automatic bid, but I agree with you that at five bids, five wins, sorry, with 16 and a half CS as the first from your program, um, I'm very confident that they will be comfortably making it off the open bid list. Tulane at four and a half wins, the 17 and a half CS, going to be a slightly different story. Um, I think we're just going to be biting our nails through, round, through uh, the fourth week, and uh, it's not going to be fun for any of us. But um, look, I think that you you hit the nail on the head with most of the other teams. Um, I think that in general, this is a, a coming out party for Auburn. I think if I were Emory A, I would have been, you know, look, Rhodes B is Rhodes B. But their their loss in the last round to University of Mississippi, you know, I mean, not a loss, but a split, I should say. Um, not that that is like terrible. I mean, I don't think Mississippi's a, a you know terrible program as their A team. But um, if you're Emory A, I think that they they are hoping to clean that up. And I will say that the uh, the Emory A that faced Tulane in round two definitely took care of business, <laughs> uh, beat us by I think forty points total. So uh, not a close one there. Um, I, I think really quickly just to touch on the whole four and a half bid, four and a half wins, um, potential on the open bid list. You know, Ben, you kind of mentioned earlier how many extra open bids we've been getting because we've had so many teams dropping out and regionals, um, lowering their total number. Um, as I look at the orcs, um, open bid list right now, um, there are currently 24 bids that are going to be offered. And if we go down 24 spots right now, that is at University of Portland A, who had four and a half wins with a 14 CS. And based on that, Tulane will be making it. Obviously, we have two more regionals or two more weeks of regionals to go. I'm sure a lot is going to change, but it will be definitely a a nail biter to the finish to see whether we make it out or not. And it is uh, it's going to be tough. But I will say that I'm I'm very, very proud of them. the program went through a lot of turmoil in the last few weeks. Um, just a lot of things that are sometimes outside of everyone's control. Other things that are just, you know, kind of unfortunate products of, of being a, a young and growing program. But um, they fielded two teams. They worked their tails off. And honestly, for the program as a whole to have two winning records is something that I am very proud of and will definitely take home to the bank. Um, they also had two award winners, which I'm going to shout out because I actually coached both these kids in the fall. But Robbie Johnson and Elon Tang, I am just really, really happy for both of them. They are both first. Um, this is their first ever AMTA season, um, and I'm really excited for both of them. Just could not be more proud. Um, and look, we'll see what happens, whether or not Tulane moves on to Orcs or not. But um, whatever happens, it's been a great season, and they've definitely worked hard. So I am I'm very proud of, of all of the Tulane students that competed. Yeah, I think you you hit most of it. I think the open bid storyline is is a super interesting one that we're going to be keeping an eye on to see four and a halfs. It, it looks pretty likely at this point that at least some four and a halfs will get off the open bid list, especially since some of these teams at the top, um, like Northwestern B is actually Northwestern C. So presumably when Northwestern A gets their bid, Northwestern will disappear. Same with Hillsdale A. That's actually Hillsdale C. I think, or maybe Hillsdale B. Um, so like one of, well, there's two Hillsdales in the top five. Two of those top five teams will probably drop off and everybody will scoot up a spot or two. So a lot of interesting storylines there. But yeah, I think you hit it, uh, the nail on the head and everything here. I'll mention one or two last things. Um, I did want to shout out uh, Eric Brown, who runs the the uh, regional here uh, at Mississippi College, who's been hosting down there for AMTA for many years. Um, 
I know uh, Eric, you know, Eric and I have gotten to know each other over the last couple of years and, and uh, he's really, really passionate about mock trial. He's a great guy and uh, he does a fantastic job at a time when uh, judges are hard to come by at a lot of in-person regionals rounds two rounds. One, we had almost all three judge panels and round three, we had some four judge panels. Um, we didn't have to use a single coach. Every single presider was a practicing attorney. The vast majority of scorers were practicing attorneys. So just really fantastic job hosting there. Um, and I got a chance to finally meet uh, in person, friend of the pod, Henry Lehman, who came down and, and judged two rounds, which was a lot of fun. Um, he recorded a great video for AMTA talking about why he judges. And it was really funny. After round three, I put him in a, in a high round. And after round three, Anna, Anna Eldridge uh, of Rhodes, friend of the pod, comes in to tab and it's like who was our presider uh and i was like oh no like yeah oh uh, uh oh and she's like he was amazing can it can he judge for nationals and i looked at the list i was like oh Anna, i think he's hoping to be at nationals but not to judge <laughs> um um so it was it was really cool to get to meet him and, and to, you know talk to him in person so uh, i think that's all the observations i have here drew anything else on your end before we wrap up no i think you you really covered it i mean look this was the the Amta regional that you were actually Amta repping at Ben. Um, and so it, it's cool to kind of get some of your perspective on what was going on there. I'm so sad that I wasn't there personally. It would have, I mean, it literally was the perfect, you know, Tulane was competing there. It's right nearby. You know, I was driving distance for me. You were repping there. Like, I feel like I should have been there. But <laughs> as we discussed at the beginning, I think I had other things that were similarly important that I needed to take care of. And I'm just glad that uh that it, it came away working out if i had kind of failed out and we hadn't made it to the to the semis i would have felt a little worse about not going so uh glad everything worked out and and hopefully next year we'll be able to make it work and go to the same uh, regional at some point and hang out yeah one of these years we got to record one of these episodes sitting across the table from each other we literally I never know. have i feel like i i gotta feel like you know Amta was trying to help us out. It was like, oh, you know, we'll we'll send Ben to Tulane's regional. You know, throw him a bone. And uh, I appreciate trying. If there was any of that, um, please do it again next year, and hopefully it won't conflict with Tyla. But uh, we'll, we'll keep trying. I'm sure <laughs> we'll make it happen at some point. I think the day Amta tries to help us out will be a cold day. <laughs> but that's true. Uh, that's true. you know, that's that's a topic for another day. <laughs> Well, we appreciate everyone listening. This is, of course, week two of regionals. We'll be back in your feeds next week after week three. UMBCA is headed to D.C. to compete at American, and, and I'm excited to go there and hopefully get a bid and, and come back with some insight from a lot of the really great teams there. Uh, and then we'll have week four, and then we'll be diving into orcs in that quick turnaround. So a lot of exciting things happening, a lot of interesting things to talk about. Uh, as we wrap up, we do want to thank our gold patrons. We have such a wonderful group of supporters who have made it possible for us to have our wonderful editor and now our social media manager. Um, so we're really grateful to all of you who support this podcast and help make it possible. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. It's a pleasure to be with you. Until we are in your feed again, this has been The Mock Review. Ben and Drew.